You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. This is an American history podcast where each week I, Dave Anthony, read a story, reads a story from American history to a, a guy. As, well, his name is, and is your friend named Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. It is considered presumptuous for people to say, I'm your friend. The actual... We've established that we're friends, so... Well, there's been establishment of a few <laughs> ways our relationship works. Well, right? What, like we're nemesis? We're nemesis? Is that where this well, is going no, again? No, we're not nemesis. You're my nemesis. It's a one-way thing. And I'd like you? That's how this is going to work? Yes. It's a really shitty situation for me. Do you understand yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. No, no, at 100%. It, this isn't great um, for whatever you have going on. It's just dog shit, but... Hey... I, and I didn't do anything. You, I didn't do anything. The, the thing about Americans is, is they, they always seem to think that everything should be great and lovely and, like, and like the world is supposed to be a happy place, whereas, you know, other uh, cultures, some Asian cultures, like, it's bad a lot of the time, and then it's good part of the time, and it's just a thing. So what you need to come to grips with is that it's bad. What just got said? Philosophy. Barely. Does it matter? It, it do, not my, not if my, it, not if no. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Fine. You can continue to treat me as a hostile co-host if you must. Yes. And called it quote. His jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like Adam. On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> Come on, Now hit him with the puppy. <laughs> you both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. Action part. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. Rona. Rona at the court. Uh, let's uh, thank everybody who came or stayed for our uh, live virtual show uh, last Thursday. That was a lot of fun, and we'll do it again. So sure, sure, sure. hope everybody liked it, and uh, we'll be back. And then just because it didn't make it into the Scott Walker episode, I do want to say a very special thank you to my buddy who helped me with tons of the research and had the idea to do one on Foxconn, my buddy Frank Martinez, who I've known since fifth grade, maybe even earlier. Um, but uh, he helped me write this Scott Walker thing, so I just wanted to make sure he his name is out there. I cut that out, too. Yeah. Yeah, you made a lot of... Uh, yeah. You, went, you, had a, was, you had a cocaine post-session. Yeah, you had that a cocaine a tough one. post-session. October 21st, 1856. Okay. Nice. Charles Morse was born in Bath, Maine. Okay. Uh, so it was a water father, birth. <clears throat> yeah, he was born in a bath in Maine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father, Benjamin, was in the towing business. Yeah, you got a big one and you got a little one. And the rest of these little piggies, they're fairly useless. I'm a tower. I've been a tower oh. for a long time. <laughs> I'm in the uh, tow business, and uh, my father was in the tow business. But uh, if my son, if he wants to be a in the tow business, he could be in the tow business. He could be a tower as well, but uh, I want him to do his own thing. 
I would love to have him be a podiatrist, take advantage of the whole foot, because the heel has some beautiful pieces. The heel has some lovely pieces, but the, but you, but let me walk you through it. You got your pinky toe. That's your baby. Then you got this toe here next to it, the ring toe, little bigger. Then you got your swearing toe. That's if you're having an altercation with a gentleman and you want to say, get out of here, you jag off. You give him that toe. Then you got your pointer toe. That's when you need to gesture with something. And then you got your big toe, which is used for kicking and hitchhiking. I'm a toer. Um, so just to start out, I think you don't know what towing is. Are you talking to me or are you talking to your co-host? <laughs> no, I'm talking to... <clears throat> well, a little bit of both. All right, I'll stay as this person. Well, now, what's your beef? <laughs> well, towing <laughs> in the early 1800s. Yeah, is where you look at a certain set of toes. Most Americans move themselves yeah. in goods by water instead of the roads. Which can be really very hard. painful on a foot. A sped, and what do you think takes the brunt of all that movement and travel? Your toes. Right up okay, here. Okay, no, that's okay. Thank you, and you are your, correct. Your hitchhiker toes getting a, the brunt of that. Hitch, hitchhiker toes? Yeah, your thumb toes. Big toes. Mm-hmm. Papa toes, as I call them. Daddy toe. Daddy toe. To, yeah. I'm big, in charge of the others. I got to go. I can't believe I'm saying this. I have to go. Yeah, no, you shouldn't be in charge of anything. By the I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, so Benjamin had what was close to a monopoly towing on the Kennebec River. Uh, Charles, uh, as a, as a young, young, uh, lad had a case of infantile paralysis. Also Jesus. Known as polio. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> at least it's connected to an actual thing. I could see them just leaving it as that. Well, he's got it. Unfortunately, a kid's not going to be much of a walker. Yeah, there he goes. The legs don't work no more. That's just how it works up here. My medical recommendation? Start work on another. <laughs> so he recovered. Oh, a lot of help from his mom and his family. Uh, but he would always, for the rest of his life, have a slight limp. Okay. Uh, Charles was brought into the towing business when he was old enough. Uh, he worked as a bookkeeper. Sort of. So what he did was hired as a bookkeeper, and he was paid a salary of, I, I saw, between 800 and $1,500. And then, he, and then he just brought in another guy and hired him to do the work for $300 while he went to college. That's why that needs, I wish I, that needs to be done more often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just go get hired as like at a restaurant and then be like, awesome. All right, Charles, I'm in charge of you <laughs> at this restaurant. And um, you'll make, you know, and just take like a cut. Just make it a cut mm-hmm. thing. Well, you get a job as a waiter, and then mm-hmm. you go and hire another guy to be the waiter, and, and you just take a couple yeah. bucks off the top. How much you make tonight? I made pretty good money. Why do I tip you? Because you're not working for them. You're working for me. Give me my cut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's basically what WeWork is. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's basically what, like, most businesses are. I mean, that's, that's like... That's what uh, all of Silicon yeah. Valley is. Entertainment point. is based on that a lot, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you have people you've just kept around. Oh, yeah. Do I get... Where's no. mine? I had a guy that offered to have me write a movie. I knew his quote. His quote was $750,000 a film. And he called me up to offer. He was like, look, I have to write two movies. I don't have a lot of time. And these are big movies. These, are, these were huge movies. And he goes, can you write one and I'll buy you a Prius? And I was like, that's mm. a really shitty deal. 
Did you- That's industry standard, Dave. Most deals now are for a car. <laughs> yeah, trade. That's not, yeah. Um, so, uh, so Charles sees a lot of opportunity in, in what's happening. So basically, ships would bring coal to Maine, and they would leave empty. And Charles is mm. like, well, those ships can be filled up with ice to drop back in the southern places when they return, which would mean a lot of money because that's in the summertime. They would get ice from Maine. Well, uh, sorry. Mm. Can, may, uh, may, may, I, uh, may I ask a question? <laughs> yes. Um. Having, uh, I would say, a rough familiarity with the product of ice, um, part of the summertime issue with ice is uh, mm-hmm. the keeping the ice consistency issue. Oh, uh, you mean uh, in the form of ice and not water? Yes, yes. Oh, how do you, oh. how do you yes. not return with a ship of black coal that- water and be like, aren't you glad I brought it back? <laughs> that's that's uh, very easy to explain. Well, Maine doesn't have uh, summer, mm-hmm. and boats on the inside don't have summer. But this ice is going to make that the, <laughs> the trip no problem? So uh, Maine was a huge exporter of ice. They would have ice houses on riverbanks, and then during winter... Men would go out and cut the ice off the top of the river and put it in the ice house and store it in there until the summer. And in summer, they'd ship it out and sell it because demand was high. But basically, it stayed cold because, for one thing, insulated a bit. But the ice kept the ice frozen. <laughs> I mean, OK, I'll I'll assume you're dealing in facts. And so I'll yeah, walk yeah, away yeah. The, from these this are, argument. These are strange facts. Yes, it is. It's it's strange. I get it. I get it. I get the theory for sure. I get the theory. But I'm glad to hear that it works. It's not getting as hot as it is in like New York, right? No, no, for sure. It's Maine. But still, you're coming back. I mean, surely in Transpo, you're losing a bit. But these are enormous pieces of ice. So Yeah, they're enormous pieces of ice. And also, uh, you know, you're talking about 18... um, Yeah. The 1870s. Uh, Yeah, so... um, Temperatures are not going up yet because the, you know, the right. kicking because carbon into the. So it's a colder time. To be fair, I don't think we need to be sort of inserting our liberal bias into this podcast. <laughs> I think we can. I think it's safe to say that there's if it, Dave, if there is such a thing as global warming, why come there snow last year? Thank you. OK, that's fair. That's a good point, And I don't have an answer for it. Um, so basically, Maine had been shipping. Uh, ice south for years. Um, so, so Charles, he's in college and he sees this while he's in college, this, you know, place to make money. Uh, so he starts negotiating deals that would, that bring ice that was cut, uh, in, in Maine from the rivers to New York city and then, and then South like Philadelphia, Baltimore, the ships. So ships would, uh, come up with coal or lumber, when they were done. So it created a situation where the ships are full all the time going back and forth. Yes. Smart. With product. Uh, He's not the first dude to ever think of shipping ice from Maine, obviously, like I said, but he's got a bigger plan. Um, He wants to corner the entire ice market. He wants to take over ice. 
Dave, am I about to, to meet the Iceman? <laughs> Pretty much. This is the Iceman. In, in spring of 1884, Charlie married Hattie Hussey. Hello, it's me. <laughs> the rumors are true. It's really not a great name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining. I'm imagining they probably said it something. They called it like Hussey just to avoid. Although Hussey, Hussey might not even been. You a, do not talk to my woman like that. No, my last name's Hussey. Oh, then no. good to meet you, also. Uh, she was the daughter, of a, a granddaughter, but business associate. So they went on. Uh, they'd have three sons and a daughter. Hussey. Uh, Charles moves to Boston. By the time he graduates. He had, from all the wheeling and dealing, he had about 100000 saved up. So pretty good wow. college job. Pretty good college job. Uh, 100000 our money. Yes. Yes. No, okay. Otherwise... it was no 100000 their money. What? So he's it, rolling he's, it. Because he, he's, just, he's just making bank because of his idea yeah. of putting ice sure. onto empty ships. It's a great, a great idea. It's just amazing how people are like, well, he's a genius. You're like, no, he just saw that there were empty ships and was like, we should yeah, put ice on Yeah, exactly. I never would have thought, never would have thought of that myself. But he came <laughs> up with it because he saw that the ships was empty, do you see? And then he decided to put ice upon them. Sometimes uh, one man's genius is another man's just everyone else is an idiot. Well, I, I sure never thought of it. The only thing I ever thought that they could do is um, put put a boy on it for the ride back. And, <laughs> but it's a, it's a ticket that's $20,000. What kind of... So the boy is paying $20,000? The boy's family or somebody is, yeah. You have him go on a, a journey. Well, he's yep. just going to New York. Well, he's a boy. So, you know, you could tell him it was anywhere. You could tell... I mean... It could tell, but but either way, that was my version of it. Ice makes a lot uh, more sense, but how, I had the, I was the first one who said we should put one boy and say that he's a lucky boy and put him. How on old's it. the boy? How old's the boy? Boy's between four to nine. And then what? Why is he going? What's he doing when he gets? He's there? He's taking a one-person joyride to the big city on a ship, plus all the coal you could eat. Why not just put him on a, a, a horse carriage and drive him down? Because it's just Maine, so you could do it and really... Well, that's um, that, everybody's doing that. This kid gets a one-trip ticket all the way to the big city on a ship. And he, it's just him. It's no parents or anything. And it's $20,000. Again, they didn't go for it. But um, yeah, no, an ice it's, is it's better. Weird. But my idea would work. Pretty good if you didn't have ice. And are you trying to corner the whole boy market? I'm working on the boy water market is where I'm kind of focused. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, I can't believe this didn't take off, but... Um, You'd be surprised. Yeah, they, a lot of people thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah I can't believe that. That's a yeah, great boy but, shipping um, idea. Let me give you my card. It's someone Thank else's you. card. But I wrote my name on it. Okay. There yeah, you go. It'll really work. Great. great. Yeah. No, oh, you got nice really hands, good. huh? You got really Please nice don't, hands. Don't touch my. Stop touching my hands. Who? Get, who? Do you get your nails done? Please stop touching my hands. May I suck a finger to establish no, that no, no, we no, have no, 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 entered a venture no, no, no. together? That's not. A, that's not okay. a thing. All right. Oh, Take God. care. Take care. Mm. Mm. Yum yum yum. Ugh. Uh. 
So Charles used his uh, his knowledge that he 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 uh, had from being a, a young boy growing up in the towing business uh, and and now the ice business to create a monopoly. So first, because he could ship larger amounts than anyone else in schooners and barges on the ocean, he started consolidating. He started consolidating the uh, marine ice market. So he's taken over the ocean ice market. Mm-hmm. And he took I, he took the ice to New York, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. And to reach those market, to reach those markets, now that he's got he he's got control of the shipping, right? So now everyone who has an ice house has to go through Charles. Okay. So so yeah, he's, he's also issuing issuing stock and using money to expand. So he's just constantly buying more boats and taking Building. over the right. the ocean right. shipping market. So soon. All the ice houses are dependent on him or indebted to him. So we basically have Ice Bezos. It's Ice Bezos, yeah. Okay, nice. And that's also very fun to visualize. It looks uh, a lot like Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Batman and Robin with George Clooney. That's correct. That's yeah. exact. It's, that's the picture. Just of so people know what to picture. That's right. Um, as far as his competitors in New York City, when the ice crop was weak in New York but strong in Maine... He sold them ice, and now they became indebted to him. So people who, who distribute ice, mm-hmm. when they can't get their ice, you know, their usual ice yeah. route, they have to go through him because he has most of the ice. Right. And then he uses that to make them get he, in the hole to him. So he's right. using all these angles to just fuck people. Ice leverage. Right. Okay. Wow. Ice leverage. Right. Okay. And what he would do is say give me stock in return because they can't pay because they don't have any money because they're smart. So ownership. So further expanding the ice empire. So he's gaining control of all the distributors and people in New York. And so doing this, he starts to take over the ice business in other cities as well. In 1896, a heat wave hit New York. It's over 90 degree heat, 90% humidity, Zero wind. By the way, that now is New York I summer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that is just like the established climate of a New York regular summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this goes on for 10 straight days. Now, at the time, tenements are just packed with people. Just everyone's just fucking shoved in there. Great. Six people to a room. There's no running mm. water. No Perfect. circulating air at all. Good. Um, so everyone... Good smells. Just, lovely. Oh, the smells. Yeah. The, the, it, if you could just take away one beautiful thing from this tenement world, it's the yeah. smells. Yep. Um, so uh, they start to seek relief outside, right? They just can't be inside this little hot box with right. six other people. So Ed Cohn, who's a historian, said, quote, It was so densely packed that most people couldn't even live inside the tenement itself. The streets in front of tenements and the rooftops and the fire escapes were filled with people because there was no room for everybody to fit inside. Our future. <laughs> <laughs> so it's illegal to sleep in city parks at this time. And of course now. So that forced people to sleep where their tenements were. But it's too hot to sleep in the tenement. So people start sleeping on roofs and fire escapes. Sure. Sure. Great. Now, when you're sleeping on a fire escape, and maybe you've mm-hmm. had a little bit to drink, or maybe you're just a heavy sleeper, and then you roll over, well, sometimes mm-hmm. you roll over and off the building. Yes. Or a fire sure. escape. 
Yes, there is a down. I mean, it's not called fire stairs. <laughs> like it's there for an emergency. That's right. So people are just because it's so hot out. The result is that people are rolling off of buildings and dying. Jesus Christ. God. And there's tons of kids like breaking bones because they're falling off. Like it's just a fucking it's a yeah. disaster. It's it's a it's the it's the unforeseen result of a heat wave, which is people rolling off of buildings and dying. Right. Okay. Uh, Death finds people, a way. Some people went down to sleep on the piers, but a lot of people didn't know how to sleep, so they would um, roll off the pier and drown. There's a lot of rolling. Yeah, and uh, the roll drown is a very. I would like. I, I would. I would think there would be a lot more roll swimming, but the roll like. I'm going to continue to sleep underwater. I don't know back then how many people got swimming lessons. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Well, like, by the way, I mean, I'm sure, and I'm sure that there. I'm sure it's a lot harder than it sounds to. Yeah. Do the wake and swim. Uh, so 1,500 people died during the 10-day heat wave. Jesus Christ. That's a lot. Which is a, f- a lot of fucking people. Now, a- yeah. also a lot of them were just w- the workers, mostly uh, dudes in their 20s who were working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. They were just dying. Yeah. And just to the, and like, and that sounds crazy. And then you remember how many people die from COVID a day in this country. And you go, meh. Yeah, but that's not real. Right. Thank you. You always got to, yeah. you know how to snap me back into reality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of heat's not real either. We'll go into that later. Great. Um, so the city really need, needed ice. That, that's obvious. So price, prices were already going through the roof in New York City because of his monopoly. Right. A- and then a, a police commissioner named uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt began putting pressure on the mayor to buy ice to hand out to the public. And the city went for it, and, and prices just went through the roof. And Charles made a killing. Okay. And, and Teddy Roosevelt was like, well, I've learned nothing. <laughs> no, he actually went in to the tenements and places and, and watched how they were using the ice, and it was one of the formative things of his life. Uh, the next year, 1897, Charles founded the Consolidated Ice Company. So he had basically just merged all of the different parts of the business, you know, supply, demand, everything. He's got just it all. one major <laughs> ice man. Uh, that same year, his wife, Hattie, died from tuberculosis. Okay. Their four kids were then raised by his sister, Jeannie, and Charles moved to New York City. Bye, kids. Just, yeah, it's just, it was, I mean, as far as being like, and there's still so many pieces of shit men in the country slash world, obviously. But it seemed like it was just a little bit easier to just be like, in that way, just the hugest piece of shit. Like, all right, well, one woman's dead. The next one will take him. I'm off to the big city. <laughs> Bye, ma'am. I'm your sister. Take care now. Ta-ta. Good luck with those yeah. what's-their-faces. I'm out of here. See ya. Love you. Well, no. Not Good really. luck. I can't remember if I have three or four. Either way, whichever ones you find, just make them good. Remember, this one's salad fork. See y'all later. <laughs> so the city is in a panic to avoid uh, another nightmare heat wave when it comes. Sure. And ice was seen as the way to do it. So Charles 
then focused on working the New York political system. When what are the people doing with the ice to cool themselves down? I mean, are they just like physically? Well, there's a lot of eating of ice chips, but also right. um, you can just keep an area cool. Like you can just cool down your own temperature. Uh, with... But they also use it uh, for food and other things. Okay. All right. Right. Just what I would imagine. Yeah. It's yeah. ice. Uh, yes. Thank you so much. I think they're. I think what they're doing is they're just making cool drinks. <laughs> mm, that's well. That's me done. Someone get my overcoat. I'm now boiling. <laughs> so Charles gave the Tammany Hall boss and the mayor stock in his company. Okay. Now he actually loaned the mayor the money to buy the stock at half its value. <laughs> the mayor's like, I'm a good business person. <laughs> I know so, business. So now the two most powerful men in New York have stock in Charles Ice Company. Right. Have an interest and then suddenly, in, right. suddenly things start going really well for the company in New York. Really? That's odd. Yeah, if you can imagine that. What was that due to? Uh, I don't know. They couldn't figure it out. Just the economy? Okay. Uh, the price of ice was uh, fixed right now, so that made it hard for competitors to do business. So basically, they, they did it at a point that it would drive other companies out of business and make right. him money. Uh, there's a term for this. I don't remember what it is. It begins with Just an Just fucking... I think it's assholes. Unopple. Yeah. Oh. Uh, by 1900, ice could not be unloaded at a New York wharf unless it was an American ice company on one of Charles' <laughs> ships or barges. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yep. Cornered the ice market. And at yeah, least it's, it's something crazy. that... At least it's... At least it's harmless. It's just something that can keep people alive. So it's not and also, a big it's, deal. It's such a natural. I mean, it's just like, you know, like I possess rain. I'm the rain man. Not yeah. from the movie. Um, but also. But then when you think about that, too, it's like, you know, we have the same thing going on with water right now in so many, many ways. Like it's not as distinct, but it's the same. It's, it's the same. It's with water. Similar yeah. tri- ownership over natural resources. Yeah, Nestle just taking tons yeah. of water because... Oh, that, ne- that I'm sure at some point you'll get into him, but that yeah. motherfucker, that the guy worst. is like, oh, yes, I'm out of a villain sketchbook. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. it's really crazy. Uh, reformers were furious that he was using politicians to fix the price of ice, and shippers mm. and other ice producers said Charles was making them sell at horribly low prices to stay competitive. Mm-hmm. So in 1900, another hot summer came. It had been a decent winter for ice harvesting in Maine, and, but New York prices, of course, shot up. Now, the poor people were the ones who were affected. Obviously, the rich could handle it, um, but the poor couldn't, so they couldn't afford ice, and the result was they were dying from spoiled food all summer long. Ugh, Jesus Christ. Because they, they, you know, they would get ice and keep food on it, yeah. But now they can't even afford what they've always been doing. I, right. And they can't afford to buy new food. It's a good country. It's a good system. <laughs> <laughs> so people were furious after this, uh, and they were mad at what was now called the Ice Trust. Charles planned to have an ice monopoly backfired. Two newspapers wrote that he had received special privileges from Tammany Hall and that the mayor and the Tammany boss had large ownership stakes in the ice trust. And then hearings were held, and the Fed started looking at the ice business. 
and the price dropped. But it didn't matter. Charles was already worth $12 million. Good, 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 good. So the only way that you can stop other people from doing what he did would be to take all of the $12 million. Right. Yes. But that's and not sh- what ever happens in our... No, no. And never what never has happened. It's like, yeah, if, you, if you're a banker and you retire, you know, with $220 million, we're like, oh, that bastard. Well, on to the next caper. <laughs> In the spring of 1901, Charles married Clements Dodge. Uh, she was from Atlanta. She had one time been his landlady. And now that I couldn't figure out more on, but one time she was his landlady, and now she had gotten a divorce, so they hooked up. Hmm. I can see it. Clements, at one time, had been described as, quote, as still and transparent as a glass of water. What? So wait, he's now going to bang ice? I think... <laughs> This is yeah. my Monopoly of Ice, and this is my wife, Ice Cube. Hello. Yeah, I think she's just really boring uh, and simple. I think that's what that means. What a terrible... It's not a great... You know, she's as interesting as a glass of water. <laughs> is there ice in the water, or is it just... No, no, good, good. listen to me. She's as interesting as a, gla- as a clear glass of water. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's I feel what like you Interesting with. shouldn't be in the sentence. Hey, you're telling me, Jack. <laughs> uh, the New York mayor was the best man at the wedding. They lived on Fifth Avenue on an area known as Millionaire's Row, a block from it, a Vanderbilt. Isn't it just the amazing the how easy it is to corrupt humans? It's, it's, oh, yeah. I think that really is like the major problem. Is It's not that... It's not that, like, our politicians are the worst. It's that, like, we're the worst. And yeah. some of us just get into politics. And that would be mm-hmm. – and that it, it is – and it's, it's flawless. It, I mean, yeah. politicians never go down. They just don't. Even when you're reading about, like, what will happen to Trump when he leaves, if he leaves. There's nothing. When he there's leaves. nothing that's going to happen to And the way that nothing. they're the, – the way that they're sort of uh, greasing those wheels for the rationales why to, like – it's amazing, though. If you've been on Twitter for the last four years, every lunatic liberal has him in, like, handcuffs, orange jumpsuit, the whole family behind bars. And it's always just been like, who? Who's going to do this? When, Some, when, yeah, this someone a, else in the club is going to do this? That's not how they treat <laughs> fellow club members. No, they don't at all. Um, so any business that Charles was involved in was now being written up and investigated by the papers. Good. So while Charles was buying up ice companies, he'd been issuing stock valued at much more than it was worth. This is known as capitalization or watering the stock. At the same time, he was buying steamships at a crazy rate. So he's, he's jacking up the price of stocks or making the stocks seem like they're worth more than they are, giving himself a profit and then taking that money and buying Steamship Steam. lines. So he's now he's buying. So he is he's he's very quickly. I mean, I, soon enough he'll be taking over exporting. Uh, basically, right. That would be the S- five year plan. So during one period, he was buying a, ste- a steamship line every two weeks. He's trying to wow. now monopolize the freight business. That's, yes, Ice Bezos. Yes. So he would buy the controlling interest in a bank. 
And then he would borrow money from the bank. Okay. And using that money, he would buy stock in a steamship company. Jesus so he doesn't Christ. actually... Right, so he doesn't actually have the money. He's just taking over banks that have money, using that money to... So it's just a fucking game. He's just shifting money around, right? Uh, it's an enormous racket. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so this meant he would be in control of the company, but the bank would hold the stock as collateral for the loan. He, he would, would be also... Control, right, okay. He would also issue stock for much more than the value of the company... And banks were under different regulatory authorities. So national banks would be overseen by someone else, then state banks or local banks, right? So there's not one big authority overseeing banks, so they're not seeing this pattern. E- right, okay. Uh, so this is, so you're, what you're saying is this is a time when corruption in, in the banking industry was easy. If you can imagine a time when in which banks people, were allowed to do whatever they want, completely right. destroy lives, completely destroy the economy, and, no, uh, and essentially have no take, take away, steal millions of homes, and then no one does anything. If you can imagine that sort of thing, that's kind of what this is like. Okay. Just, can, can I just have one second to sort of mm-hmm. try to visualize this era you speak of? Just because it's oh, long, so... A long, long time ago. It's so, well, time ago. Please, let me just lock in because it's, it's so foreign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's goo- it's a- I'm closing my eyes, and it is a goofy-looking time. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So over a short period of time, Charles owned, controlled, or was the director of, of over a dozen New York uh, City banks. His banks <laughs> bought more stock in companies he owned. He would write demand notes to get money for his own business from banks. Bank clerks were signing off to have weekly $1,000 loans given to him, which, were the, which then deposited in his accounts. Then he'd buy more stock in his companies. He consolidated all of the marine, uh, the main steamship lines first. In five years, his steamship companies were in control of almost all traffic on the East Coast and Gulf Coast from Galveston, Texas to Maine. Wow. So not all bank robbers wear pantyhose. I mean, you know, he just some worked of them the just, system. Yeah, some of them come in the front door. Have an office. Uh, uh, okay. That is, by the way, quite a uh, geographical distance to own oh, the shipping industry. Of. So he hit it off with the widow of someone he did business with. And he decided he wanted out of his marriage uh, to okay. Clements. He, didn't, he wanted to pour the water out. So he hired a lawyer to find Clements' ex-husband who was in Texas. Oh, no, this is okay. Isn't it amazing that no matter what level you get to, no matter how much money you have, how much access, you still are like, my wife will be mad. (laughs) So so the lawyer, uh, he sends a lawyer down there, right? So um, the lawyer talked to the ex-husband and uh, talked him into claiming he was never served with divorce papers from uh, Clements. This guy is, this is, this man has too much money. So that means that he's never she, been married to her. Yeah. Well, it means that there, she's married twice. So she has to now get the, her current marriage annulled. So, right. 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 So this is just uh, so much, this is so much more complicated than just, I don't think this is right. Then I think he would lose. I don't know. I don't know why he didn't do it that way. But you know, obviously, oh, the, maybe for the time period, it's right. for the time period, it's hard to get divorced. But also yeah. financially and everything else. Okay. Um, 
So, so the ex-husband does this. The, the case goes to court. It's all very public. Uh, the whole thing goes on for a year. The New York prosecutor didn't believe the story and thought the ex-husband was lying. So Charles' lawyer then tries to keep the ex-husband away from the prosecutor. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Because at this point, the lawyer's involved, and now he's worried that if the ex-husband talks, he's going to go down for perjury. Right. And Who Charles doesn't want to be in business with con- Charles? And Charles would go down for conspiracy. Yeah, it's a fucking disaster. Yeah. So Charles reaches out to his uncle, who's the ship captain in Bath, Maine. And he gets his uncle to come down and swear under oath that he had been the one to pay 60000 to the lawyer to end Charles' marriage. So Charles fucks, the, fucks over the lawyer and, and gets himself out of it and makes, and makes it the uncle take all the blame. I'm sure he gave the uncle... Right, paid him off. Tons more money. Right. And the reason the uncle said he did it because uh, all the, his nieces and nephews, Charles' kids, hated Clements. Okay. Uh, it's quite, I mean, that's quite, it's quite a uh, tangled web. So the ex-husband is convicted of perjury. The lawyer is disbarred. So and he flees to Europe. And Charles is like, Yay! And after all that, the widow wanted nothing to do with Charles. Oh, God. Uh, so he did all that, and then the, she's like, I, nah, I'm not into it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, he, but he's scot-free. Like, he doesn't, yeah, he now gets he's, no. Sure. So yeah. after that, after all this stuff, Charles and Clements uh, sailed to Paris together for his second honeymoon. Wait, what? <laughs> what? What? I realize after going through all this and ruining all these lives that you do complete me. <laughs> it's just now come so on, you vanilla nothing. <laughs> come on, you plain wafer. Come with me. Uh, in 1907, Charles. So the lawyer was like, "Thanks, Charles. Glad yeah, that was <clears throat> glad nothing glad changed. I, glad to be in business with you. <laughs> I live in Paris. It's hard to get a job here." For me. <laughs> in 1907, Charles bought a steamship line that had been controlled by J.P. Morgan. He paid $10 million for it. Morgan apparently didn't want to sell, but he didn't have a choice because of Charles' monopoly. <laughs> I mean, finally some good news. <laughs> I know, right? Just to hear that J.P. Morgan Chase was like, God damn it, I can't afford it. Charles then formed the consult. Uh, he already did that. Uh, pretty much anyone wanted to sh- who wanted to ship anything between Maine and New Orleans at this point is paying Morse. Okay. His plan his plans just completely coming together. Uh, but this isn't the ice business. The, there weren't heat waves to jack up the price. It's pretty much just standard shipping. Okay. And it's all about it's all about demand. The ice houses he had squeezed and he bought for cheap, but he paid a lot of money for the shipping business. Okay. But as long as stock prices go up, it all works great. In 1907, Charles and businessman Augustus Hines teamed up. Hines had made his fortune in copper mining and was known as a risk taker. Mm-hmm. Now, he had a monopoly on copper mines under his company, Anaconda Copper. I mean, 
Snake just, just say it out loud. Well, anacondas squeeze people to death. Like, just, oh, yeah. right. it's just so crazy how just. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a snake. I mean, it yeah, works on a I lot mean, of levels. Uh, I was going to call it just fucking dickhead copper, but I went with anaconda copper. Strangulation copper seemed to rub people the wrong way. <laughs> How about blood dry copper? Uh, Nothing but a husk left, copper? <laughs> uh, seeing the light fade from your eyes, copper. It's all over for you. I've won is the last thing you'll hear, copper. <laughs> so... He had a smaller mining company called United Copper, and he also, he really understood the mining laws in Montana. He knew how to work them. Okay. Basically, basically any miner uh, whose claim had a vein of copper that he could follow and continued under a neighbor's property, well, he could, he could keep mining that. So what? once you found a vein on your property, if a you vein. followed it. Oh, God. So It's like Monsanto. I, it, yeah, so Heinz became a nightmare for people who had mines close to all of this. Close to his, I mean. Right. All, all of the other miners finally hit their limit with him because he just kept digging into their, their areas. And they got together, and they bought Charles, they bought uh, Heinz out. Okay, wow. So he moves to New York with $12 million. Ah, oh, lesson learned, surely, for him. And then he began uh, taking control of banks, just Good. like Charles. Good. Between them, they had control of six national banks, ten state banks, five trust companies, and four insurance companies. Jesus Christ. Then they bought a huge amount of the company Heinz helped build, United Copper. So they used the banks to get intelligence and learn what was going on uh, and found out that investors were shorting the United Copper stock. Okay. Do you know what shorting is? Yeah, that's where... I mean, I know it's... Okay. Basically, you inflate the stock and then buy it. Uh, so, well, one or two. So, basically, you borrow shares. The thing I never understood is borrowing. So, you borrow shares from someone in a company uh, at a, and, and you sell it at a price. Like, so you sell it at $40. So, you right. buy... So you're going to pay the person back. So you buy it at a certain amount. Uh, you, you sell it, say, at like 40 bucks, and, you, and you're expecting it to go down. And then when it drops down, like to 10 bucks, well, then you buy it back, and you give those shares back to the person you borrowed it from, but now you have a pile of money. Right. You have your own stake. Right. Okay. So Charles and Heinz thought they had so much Copper United stock that the short sellers would not be able to buy the stock when it hit the low pl- price and replace what they had borrowed. So they thought right. that they had the short guys. Foolproof, right. So M- Morrison, uh, sorry, Charles and Heinz would be able to pick any price they wanted, they figured, and then just make tons of money from these guys. Right. So it's all going according to plan through uh, the 1907 summer. United Copper shares keep increasing. Other people start to realize what's happening around New York, and they start buying shares too because they realize someone's playing a game on the guys trying to short it. So the price just keeps going up. Other people are jumping in. That makes the price go higher. Mm-hmm. It hits $60. Some short sellers are like, fuck this. They sell it. They take the loss, and, that's, and they're out, right? Many did not, though. 
And then in October, the stock prices start to go down. And then suddenly a huge block of United Copper stocks come on the market. So this is uh, Rockefeller and some other guys, because it turns out when Heinz was making his monopoly in Montana, he had fucked over Rockefeller and Rockefeller's associates. Wow. <laughs> so, so now you're just like, I want this billionaire to help. The, it's, uh... it's just billionaires fighting. So, yeah. so these are the standard oil guys, and they, they start using friendly reporters to push the story out there that Charles and Heinz attempted to corner the market in United Copper shares that failed. So now they're trying to send it public, right? Stock's uh-huh. going down, trying to make it public to really fucking ruin them. Right. Now, before this, the stock market was already having trouble because of the 1906 SF earthquake. Like, it still hadn't really recovered. So as the shares plummeted, Charles Banks and Heinz Banks start to look a little problematic. So people who kept their money in the banks, they have a run on the banks. So all Charles Banks and Heinz Bank are having a run on them. So Charles is able to use his own money to keep the banks under his control afloat for a little bit. But oh boy, not long enough. They start failing. So as they're failing, everyone realizes what's happening. The banks are trying to, to make it seem like they're solvent. So they have to get rid of Charles. So they, he's forced out as director at banks and trusts. And then the bankers reach out to J.P. Morgan for help. Oh, no. Oh, fuck. So Charles had obviously pissed off J.P. Morgan when he forced him to sell his shipping business. Yeah. And so J.P. Morgan is like, yeah, no. I'm good. Really? He wants to see Charles go down hard. Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, right. Obviously, this is a rich guy's game, not caring about all the people who have their money in the banks. Yeah, there's just, that's what I'm like, it's... It makes you feel like society is seven people. <laughs> so trusts are even worse than banks. Banks have to have a certain amount of actual money in the bank. Trust Whereas down. trusts have to have, a, it's like 25% versus like 5%. So Jesus trust, Christ. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the, the name n- trust is very misleading. <laughs> put, your, put your money in the fucked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you trust us? Well, that's why it's a trust. Give us the cash. Uh, so the Knickerbocker Trust had a president who was an associate of Charles. Okay. So word got out that this guy was close to Charles, and that co- caused a run on the trust. Oh, God. I, no, I, I don't know him very well. Please. <laughs> so this, uh, the New York Clearinghouse then starts loaning money to some of the banks being hit hard. Okay. But not all the banks were members of the Clearinghouse, and no trusts were. So they weren't getting money. So some banks are being helped out by this large organization, and then other ones just aren't. Okay. Knickerbocker Trust is one of those that isn't. They have to suspend all operations. They have to shut down the bank to stop the run. Okay. Now, once the bank stops operation, all fucking hell breaks loose. A full-on panic hits New York. Runs on banks are now happening all over. So it's, not, it's just spread from Charles Banks to all the banks. Right. And this is when J.P. Morgan is like, oh, I'm going to help. Because now, you know, oh, now his, his mano a mano issue is spreading to his own wallet and everybody else's. Like, right. It's so fun. now he's a good guy. <laughs> now he's a good guy. But if he had done it from the beginning. Eh. Yeah. 
But it's too late. Uh, there's no stopping the run. It went on for two weeks. The stock exchange fell 50%. Wow. Panic spread across the country, causing state and local banks all across the country to declare bankruptcy. It's a full-blown economic crisis. Production across the country fell 11%. Unemployment up 8%. Immigration dropped. Charles Steamship lines went into receivership. So essentially, one, two guys were trying to play a game on a stock and crash the entire economy. With ease, it seems. With ease. With yeah. ease. After an investigation, Charles was indicted. Now, the day he was indicted, he was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on a ship headed to Europe. Uh, a newspaper wrote that he, quote, uh, I'm going to try it, absquitillated, which means mm. he fucking took off. I guess that was a word that was commonly used back then. He Ab- absquitillated. Ab- absquitillated. He absquitillated. Um, <laughs> what? You know, he didn't want to pay his bill for the room, so looks like he absquitillated. Mm-hmm. No, what? He absquitillated. Are you talking about he just left? That's what I said, yes. By the way, okay. I'm, I'm going to take off a little later myself. I've got what are you to. Gonna... I'm, I'll Don't. see you at Squibber later. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Thank you. Uh, Don't worry about anything. Now, Charles came back, and after a three week, very public trial, he was convicted, and he got a 15 year sentence. He was 53 years old. Man, on can you imagine the, someone getting? I mean, and that was the last time we prosecuted someone for a financial crime, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, so on November 6, 1908, he's convicted and he's handcuffed and walked from the courthouse to the tombs through a massive crowd of people who were just screaming and jeering at him. Oh, the whole why way. don't we get this anymore? Why are we right? not given this anymore? Why do we not? I mean, it's it's our uh, we've you've seen it portrayed in so many different films where. You know, they're, they're, the, the evildoer is brought through the crowd. You get to throw, you know, tomatoes and water and whatever on them. Why don't, yeah. we, get, why don't we have that? Why don't we get that it's, anymore? It, it would just be cathartic. so gratifying. And, the, yeah, exactly, just the general public catharsis of a moment like that. Yeah. Like, if that happened after 2008, we would oh. be in... I mean, not even, if, even if it was just they were brought to trial... Like, then at least yeah. you would feel like there was a system that was watching instead of just being like, no, you're all fine. No, you guys made profits. You're good. No, the, the, it's what it really is, is a lot of people bought homes that they couldn't afford. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the dummies. That's right. Uh, so after a while, he was sent to a federal penitentiary in Atlanta. Charles made a statement to the press, uh, said he was a victim of, quote, a government gone mad. As it looked for a scapegoat for the financial panic. I mean, yeah. Uh-huh. Quote, Says I'm the man who a- tried to control ICE. You know, the government's <laughs> out of control. I don't know what sort of delusion they're buying into, but, uh, yeah. It's crazy. You, you, you can't get that powerful. They just think they know too much. Yes, yes, I wanted to own all ICE. In retrospect, a little goofy, sure. Quote, I'm going to Atlanta to begin penal servitude under the most brutal sentence ever pronounced against a citizen in a civilized country. 
Oh, good lord, this guy. It's just, uh, uh, it's, I mean, truly like a tweet. I mean, yeah, rich people who get any sort of slap on the wrist turn into the most gigantic fucking babies on earth. Oh, yeah. While uh, in Atlanta, he talked the warden into letting him send a message to a business associate in New York. It was coded. He told his associates to short a gas company. They did, and he ended up making $2,000 in profit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. He offered to split it with the warden, but the warden was like, yeah, no. The uh, warden's like, hey, you realize you're in jail right now for this, right? <laughs> the story somehow made its way to a newspaper editor who just happened to be friends with Charles. The newspaper printed a story about the warden now punishing Charles by not giving him bed or enough food. <laughs> so... Wow. He's trying to he's trying to publicly do it so the warden has to treat him better. Wow. In prison, <laughs> Charles became <laughs> friends with some famous mobsters because uh, they played on the same softball team. Sure, 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 sure. One of them, Sicilian Black Hand leader Ignacio Lupo, happened to have a cellmate named Charles Ponzi. Oh God! And, hey, uh, and, I got an idea. He wasn't Ponzi yet. He was just a guy in prison. My name's and just Ponzi. Meets, it means nothing uh, right now. And then he meets, and then he meets Charles Morse, <laughs> who has just cornered the market on ice and shipping, this... and then tried to and tried to do it with copper. And he <laughs> learns from him. Ponzi you, learns from Charles Morse. Can you imagine that you are so corrupted that? In a moment of your life, you meet someone, and there it's like a scheme is going to be forever named after you because of one <laughs> meeting. <laughs> You're going to be famous for being a prick. So Charles, well, the whole time, is working to get his sentence reversed. Friends uh, are getting thousands of people to sign uh, petitions to pardon him, and they would basically say, well, he, he was convicted of doing what all businessmen do, which you can't. It's kind of hard to argue with. Right. Truly. I mean, it is. And that is what that's I mean, that's what our system does, too. Right. It rarely prosecutes. But when it does, it's because there's no other option. And it's to save and secure the rest of the the system. And and if you if you fuck over other rich people, then that's That's a crime. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. So uh, Clements tried to get politicians to pressure President Taft and the attorney general. City officials in Bath, Maine, passed resolutions calling for a pardon. So By the way, Ta- Bath, Taft, Taft would never go to Bath. He gets caught. <laughs> it's too big. Even the prosecutor came out and said Charles' sentence was too harsh, as did Taft's secretary of war. But Taft doesn't care. He's not doing it. Good. In 1911, Charles hired lawyers Thomas Felder and Harry Daugherty to get him released. Now, Daugherty is connected to Taft, and Charles said he would pay the attorneys $50,000 if they could get him out. Okay. So, Daugherty works the health angle, and Charles' health is rapidly declining. Uh, Prison doctors... Confirmed Charles had Bright's disease, which is failing kidneys. Uh, and then Charles upped the offer to Doherty and Felder and said he'd give them a hundred grand if they if if he got a pardon. It's amazing how cheap he is even with his own life. <laughs> <laughs> like it's 
it's it's it poisons every particle. Uh, so Taft starts having doctors monitor Charles in prison, and the doctors report back to Taft that Charles would die in a few weeks in prison, or he would live six months if released. So Taft signs the papers to commute him on January eighteenth, nineteen twelve, for his quote incurable and progressive illness. Okay. So once out, being capitalism, right? That's right. So once out, Charles jumps right back into building up his fortune. He buys the Hudson Navigation Company, and then World War One breaks out, and he knew shipbuilding would be a moneymaker. So he, you know, just changes things around a little bit with the company and begins building ships for the U.S. Shipping Board and the Emergency Fleet Corporation. He's leasing steamships to the Navy for troop transports. He gets over $40 million in U.S. government contracts. Someone's feeling better. <laughs> and I like how the government's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing with the, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, looks like you're doing great. Can we buy some ships? <laughs> so then the war ends and contracts are canceled. And on top of that, the government is real slow in paying people like Charles. Mm-hmm. So Charles sues the government. And then created new stock issuing corporations that consolidated or split his existing companies. So he's doing all these games with his companies again, right? Mm-hmm. And then one day he hid from reporters and he got on a ship that was going to Germany where he would, quote, take waters at a spa. So this is, uh, he's going to heal, right? Okay. He's going to try to fix the Bright's disease. Right. And he turns a few months later, he's just completely healthy. Turns out he didn't have Bright's disease. He had been eating soap in prison to make it appear like he had kidney failure. Oh, my God. That, I mean, imagine the level of, I mean, you have to be psychotic. <laughs> like, to get out, like, to want to leave prison is uh, totally understanding. But to need to leave to go make more money enough to eat soap? I mean, and by the way, it says a lot for the prison doctors. Well, uh, he's still got the freshest breath in the joint, but his kidneys aren't <laughs> looking great at all. Who are you so, talking about? Bubbles? Oh, that's just what we call him. On account of every time he burps or talks, bubbles come out of him. So he, uh, in Bath, they still love him, and he gets a hero's welcome. Now, Taft is pissed, but yeah. he's not president. He calls Charles, quote, the liveliest corpse I ever saw. Now, President Harding's administration decides to prosecute Charles for war profiteering because he was God. selling to other he was selling to other people besides the U.S. Can you imagine what a time? I would be so weird. I mean, just like to see. Oh, but actual... that's very that's very rare for them to war profiteers do not get prosecuted. It, this is just an exceptional case, right? But even to see a I, I guess to see a functioning government sounds so foreign. But it's not. It's not. It's a personal prosecution because war profiteers get away with it back then, and that's how mo- a lot of ton- Brooks Brothers, all these companies, are war profiteers from the past. Okay. They still exist today. Well, they, they they're just going after him because of what he's they done hate in him. the past. But yes. even even okay. that do, is do you want to hear? No. Do you want to hear why? Why the attorney general is Harry Doherty. Oh, my God. So it is all vendetta-based. The guy who had worked to get Charles out of prison is now the attorney general, eight years later, 
And it turns out Charles never paid Doherty the 50000 he said he would pay him for getting him out of prison. It's so Trumpy. It's, <laughs> it's like, it, it is, it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, you just, yeah. I mean, I guess that would be the lesson, right? You can fuck over as many people as you want, but not too many wealthy ones. That's right. So Doherty wanted to pursue it, but he was too closely aligned he wanted to pursue putting him back in prison for the health stuff, but he is too closely aligned with the, the Bright's disease stuff to do anything. And now he knows he can put Charles in jail for something else. Okay. So he wants to, he just wants to get back at him. Right. So Charles is indicted in May of 1920 for selling for a soap racketeering <laughs> for selling a shipping board vessel to a foreign country in wartime. But that case is dismissed. So more okay. charges come. A lot for financial war stuff. So Charles decides this is a good time to take a vacation to Europe. And he goes to France. And then the U.S. tells France to return him immediately. And Charles explains that he was traveling under a different name because, quote, I was not traveling under an assumed name. The clerk just misspelled it. And I just needed to consult with my doctor in Italy. And I had no idea that my presence would be required for a civil proceeding. So he's <laughs> so just... He's, he's really throwing as much as he can against the wall. <laughs> well, my name was spelled wrong. And my doctor's here. And you don't need me for that. And my wife. And I like wine. And I got you guys this cool paperweight. Uh, in January 1920, Charles Ponzi formed the Security Exchange Company... <laughs> just sounds so funny. Ponzi. This is a security company. Sure it is, Ponzi. <laughs> he promised a huge profit, 50% in 45 days or 100% in 90 days. But he's just paying old investors with the new investors' money. Yes. Part of the scam. <laughs> part of the scam. And, but it's the first time people are like, well, there's no, nothing wrong here. What could he possibly <laughs> be doing? Oh, I wouldn't put a thing like that on old Ponzi's plate. He's a trustworthy individual. Part of the scam was to buy controlling interest in a bank, which we know who did that. The scheme led to banks failing. It ended up being about $196 million in losses in today's money, but uh, the name Ponzi scheme was born. Uh, Doherty's enemies in D.C. found out he was the one who got Charles pardoned eight years ago. Obviously not a good look for the attorney general. His enemies attack him for it, so the case really loses steam. He backs off of it a lot. And then President Harding got caught up in all these other scandals. And Charles and his sons had also been uh, prosecuted. And they were all found not guilty of all the charges. But Charles did have to forfeit $11 million to the government in a civil suit. So he did lose his fucking money. He was then charged with mail fraud, but that just kind of petered out. In August of 1926, Clements had a stroke and died. And soon after Charles had a stroke, his sons found him confused and unable to speak clearly. He was declared mentally incompetent. And Charles lived in his home in Bath, Maine from 1926 until January 12, 1933, when he died of pneumonia at 77. When he died, his estate was worth $9,000. In his later years, before he got sick, he had worn a top hat and had a white mustache. Two years after his death, the Chance and Community chess cards appeared in Monopoly. Oh, the character no. had a top hat and a white He's the mustache. Monopoly guy? 
I think he is. Some people think he is. There's no confirmation, <laughs> but he, lo- he looked like him. Uh, the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913 due to Charles Morse's actions. It established the system of Federal Reserve banks that are designed to prevent the banking system from collapsing as it did in the Panic of 1907. But, of course, obviously... It's, and it's worked perfectly recently since. Recently, we had a little issue. <laughs> what was that? Do you want to get into that? Um, no, I don't, I don't remember. That's crazy. God damn. Uh, the it, sources... It, the sources on this... Uh, are um, the Panic of 1907 and the main man who caused it on New England uh, Historical Society website and Whispering Pines, Charles Morse's second act, and Denouement and Opening Act, the Charles Morse Ice King, Prince of Financiers, and Steamship Magnet on the Daily Sun of Bowden uh, site. It's just crazy, like, you know, because we, it, our system is so fucked and flawed and so transparently so at this point that it is just a joke. Um, it's just interesting to hear about, you know, a government that, or people even that, um, when this was new and fresh, and not just, yeah. not, not, I mean, a bug, not a feature. Like, because yeah. now it is like just completely part of it and, you know, uh, you have people in Congress who make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year who are worth over a hundred million dollars and um yeah, and that 's just fine um, boy that 's crazy though what a what a i mean and a real who 's who you 've got a real lineup there isn 't it crazy it's like your dick mean... Tracy villains <laughs> yeah, good uh, times, man, yeah. No, for sure. It's and it's cool. It's nice to be able to like, like to still recognize J.P. Morgan's name. Like to be like, yeah, that guy. That's he's. I know he's him from today's ruin. Yeah, I mean, he could have saved. He could have saved all those banks and stopped it, and instead, the entire economy, you know, crashed. Yeah. And and when and poverty leads to people dying. Like it's a, it's a you're killing people with poverty. So. When oh, you yeah. crash the economy because you were being a petty little uh, child, well, people die. I mean, that's the thing that people well, never put together. Also, I think that's the thing with sanctions. Like, when people hear sanctions, I think those are just, like, such a uh, ne- – it's like a nebulous term in a way. But, but sanctions are really – I mean, what – you it's know, it is, It's killing poor people is what sanctions it's are. It's killing poor people and, yeah. and especially uh, older people and children. Yeah, you're killing – yeah, you're killing people who don't have much sanctions. That's what's that's what – it means yeah. when the United States hits someone with sanctions, that's essentially what's going on. Um, yeah. But I, I also think, like, it would just be, it, it's just, I mean, I, I don't think people know enough about how, ter- like, the banks are terrible on so many levels, but, like, a bank like Chase is so terrible, or Wells Fargo, like, they are so bad, and what they, yeah. and and the... What they represent in our system is actually a way for you to take the modicum of power that you have back from those fucking places mm-hmm. when, you know, when you use a credit union or something like that, you know, to get. Yeah, that's right. Everyone should take their money out of banks and put them in credit unions. Absolutely. Yes. Now you may go. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You don't ever order me around. Go, boy. 
All right. All right. Well, I care about you. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 